Thank you for listening in to this podcast from Valley View Church. Continue in that series. There's a church um, in Tennessee that we've been to one time, actually a couple times. Their, their mission statement is they're aspiring to be the most loving church in the world. Isn't that good? They were aspiring to be the most loving church in the world. And I can just sense the Lord's invitation to invite, inviting us right into that same mission. Are you with me? You know, it's more than just walking through life in joy in every second and then go on to heaven. Who, who knows we're alive for way more than that? There is actually something that we've been given that needs to be deposited into every single life that we come into contact with, and it's love. Everybody say love. It's love. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, passage you've heard many times before. It says, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. I've become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, it does not parade itself, it's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it's not provoked, and it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, I, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. And now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is. Let's say it all together. The greatest of these is. The title of my message today is The Dimensions of His Love. Father, I give you thanks and I honor you above all else. Holy Spirit, we need an encounter with your love today. Holy Spirit, we need an encounter with your love today. Jesus, I need your help this morning and I ask you for your wisdom. I pray over your people right now that they would receive your word, that it would go forth in power and transform lives. Jesus, get all the glory today. Get all the glory, God. And it's in Christ's name. People of God, say it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ashley, so much for that uh, little, you know, commercial, as she called it, about the book. It was a, such a, you know, a lot of people have asked me how, what that was like having to walk that journey rewriting it. You know, there was several moments where it was tough to relive as I wrote, um, but it was more healing to me than anything, if I can just be honest for a minute. You know, it was crazy. You, you walk through a journey like that and you look, you know, at several moments throughout the entire season. My, for those of you who don't know, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he lived 23 months and then went on to be with the Lord. But then you, you, I began to write and I, at the, the completion of the book, I remember looking at it and it's just like, in that moment, you can't help but see God's faithfulness. Every moment was stamped with his fingerprint. You know, anybody ever experienced something like that? Every moment was stamped in his fingerprint. And as I'm sitting here looking at it, I'm just like, whoa, at what all God has done. Whoa, at what all God has done. And I just believe it's going to change many lives. So, Ashley, I appreciate that. Everybody welcome my mom. I'm glad to have her here this morning. Yeah. 
She's a warrior, man. She's a warrior. And I just honor you and I love you and I appreciate you. All right, let's jump on in this morning. We're talking about the dimensions of his love. Everybody say dimensions. I'm used to teaching young people, so you got to have them repeat stuff to keep them on track. If I, do it, if I do it subconsciously today, just go with me. Does that work? The chapter before 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul is the one who wrote the book. And throughout 1 Corinthians 12, he lists, and he's talking about all the gifts of the Spirit. He's talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things that come be reality, they become reality in our lives. When we get filled with his Spirit, this is the stuff we see in our life. He lists nine of them. The gift of wisdom. Word of knowledge, gift of faith, gift of healings, the working of miracles, the gift of prophecy, discerning of spirits, the gift of tongues, and the gift of the interpretation of tongues. But he goes through and he talks about all of these gifts and how they're not just gifts that are supposed to stand alone in our life. That you have a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift, I have a gift, and those gifts are supposed to cohesively work together to see the kingdom of God advance and to see Jesus ultimately be glorified. There's too much competitiveness in the church these days. Somebody help me. There's way too much competitiveness in the church. We're trying to see who can climb their way to the top the fastest. We're trying to see who can look the best and sound the best. But Jesus created these gifts and put them in the person of the Holy Spirit so they could come upon my life and your life so that we could all team up, represent Jesus while we're here on the earth for the short time that we're here and actually see people get saved because of the way that we lived. Gifts are supposed to work together. He spends the entire chapter in chapter 12 just talking about that. But as he transitions into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, this is how he begins. Could you put it up there for me, Kim? It's so good. He says, though I speak, verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men, and though I speak with the tongues of angels, but I have not, somebody help me, I have not, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. So these spectacular gifts that are a part of our lives. Anybody ever experienced some of those gifts before where you pray for someone and someone just gets healed and you're just like, I couldn't have done that. The Lord did that. You know what I mean? Anybody ever been so in the presence of the Lord that you actually begin to pray in the Holy Spirit and his presence just wells up from within you. And it's this glorious moment where heaven and earth become one as we stand next to our Father hand in hand. Anybody ever experienced that before? Anybody ever been in a service where there's a message given out and the Lord actually speaks through something? and interprets the tongue that was spoken and you're just like whoa it's like the Lord knows amen these spectacular gifts are just that they're spectacular but they were never supposed to stand by themselves he says though I speak with tongues of men and I speak with tongues of angels but I have not love I, it's like a, like a clanging cymbal. I was talking to them. I almost went to this drum kit just to wear out some cymbals for about three minutes and see how long we could last. Just picture it with me for a minute, just clanging cymbals and how unpleasant that is. Yeah? You know, how, how repulsive, is that a word we can use? Just uncomfortable, just like annoying, obnoxious. Is that a good word? I almost feel like that's how the Lord sees it when we operate in gifts outside of love. To me, people trying to use gifts for personal benefits when they were supposed to partner with love itself to see other people transformed. It was never about us in the first place. It's like clanging cymbals. Hmm. I was here Wednesday night and we were in practice and the whole worship team was annoyed because I was just wearing them out. That's what it's like in God's eyes. I just, I just feel the Lord encouraging us, inviting us to, to take the gifts that are within us 
to take the mark that's upon our life and to actually live from a place of love to see those gifts carried out to impact another person. When you start living like that, the workplace comes alive. When you start living like that, church becomes way more than church. When you start living like that, schools just get messed up with the glory of God because we, we got possessed with what it means to love one another. It's a word that becomes mundane if we're not careful how I'm supposed to love. You know, we love God, but we love a double quarter pounder with cheese. You know what I mean? And we equate the two. Somebody help me. A 17-ounce ribeye steak, glory to God. Amen. <laughs> but it, it, it can't become mundane. Somebody listen to me. It can't become mundane. It must be the deepest conviction of our heart. It must be what compels our life to step every single day that people would see me and see him because of the way that I love people. Hmm. He keeps going. He says, though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, even if I have faith, then that can move mountains. How many people have prayed for mountain moving faith? Well, if you have it, but you don't have love, God says you're nothing. I looked up nothing in the Greek. You know what it means? Wow. <laughs> looked it up in Hebrew. You'll never believe it. Nothing. Aramaic, anybody? Yeah. Arabic, Italian. Actually means not anything, but it's the same thing. Spanish, nada, nothing. He keeps going in verse three. Put the next one up if you would, Kim. He said, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I take every resource that I have and use it to feed the poor. He said, if I give my body to be burned, basically what he's saying, if I lay my life down, but I do it outside of love, it profits me. Try, try it again. It profits me. Hmm. That means it's possible to actually do good things with bad motives and the Lord's displeased by it. It's actually possible to lay your life down with impure motives. I don't understand the fullness of that, but it's possible according to this verse. God, help us keep our motives pure. God, help, help us make love the most compelling part of our lives. May love be the deepest conviction of every step that we ever take. There is something so big about this whole love thing. It's more than churchy lingo and jargon. It is the centerpiece of the Christian life. You know, we have this commandment in Matthew 22. The teachers of the law are sitting there and they look at Jesus and they say, Jesus, would you put it up there, Kim, Matthew 22? They look at Jesus and they say, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in all the law? What did Jesus say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then he continued on with the second. Put 39 up there. The second is like it. You shall love. Somebody help me this morning. You shall, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is something on this love thing that we've got to get. Husbands, he called us out in Ephesians chapter 5. He called us out directly. We're like a, it's like we have a heavier weight of responsibility. Look at it. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. What a ridiculous standard. To model love the way that Jesus did. Some of your wives are like, glory to God, amen. Somebody help my husband, amen. <laughs> but husband, there is something on that that we need to catch. I can say it now because I've been married two years. There is something on that that we've got to catch. If love is not the motive of our heart, we can never serve our wife well. The family will take the hit for it. Generations past you. When you're long gone, generations will take the hit for it because we missed what it means to love. Hmm. You know, if we miss love, we've missed the gospel. If we miss love, we've missed his word. If we miss love, we've missed Jesus. Because that is who he is. <clears throat> isn't it simple, but isn't it good? If we miss love, we've missed the reason that we're alive. 
Love is what's going to penetrate the hearts of people. Love is what's going to take your words to a place they couldn't go on their own. Love is what takes a pulpit like this, someone sharing the word of God and actually takes it forward to impact people's lives. It is love. It is love. Everybody say love. It was so good. Paul here, 1 Corinthians 13, he maps out what love looks like. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to spend your life trying to find it. Paul has printed out a a blueprint under the influence of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you want to become love, this is what your life is going to look like. And I'd like to suggest for you, to you that this passage, these next four verses I'm about to read, are the nature of the Christian life. Nobody likes to hear that because that's a standard and that's, that's that's a hard thing. But that's the nature of the Christian life. This ought to be the character of every person that's born again in this room. It ought to be the character and the reality of every person's heart that knows the Lord Jesus. Here's where he starts in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Let's go to the Passion Translation. I love the way it says it. Look at this. Love is large, and it's incredibly patient. Some people say amen, but some people are like, oh, me. Already off to a tough start. Any impatient people in the house? One. Thank you, Lauren, for being honest. Thank you, Lord. Any impatient people in the house? Somebody help me. Yeah. If you've got a patient problem, your, your problem's really not with patience, it's with love. Because the first thing love is, is patient. Hmm. If, you're, if you're not patient in your heart, it, it means you haven't been made perfect in love. That's not a knock, that's an invitation. That's not to shame, that's just open arms of the Father saying, let me show you what this thing's really about. Love is large and it's incredibly patient. Even when your spouse does things a little different than you, it's patient. Yeah? Even when your child's on the journey, you don't quite understand, but he's trying to navigate through these waters of life to understand what it's all really about. Love is patient in those moments. Hmm. Love is patient with a friend's journey. You know, a lot of times we want to see someone come to Jesus so bad. You know, and it's just like, ah, we can't even stand it. But we got to understand that the Holy Spirit wants them saved worse than we do. Yeah. And he's on way more of a pursuit than we are to see it happen. Sometimes you just got to sit back and love and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. If we would take the obligation off of our lives to get people saved, Jesus never told us to get people saved. He commanded us to love. Oh, we just live free. Yeah, we want to see them saved, but we understand that the pathway that the Lord has set in place to see that become reality is love. It really is a powerful four-letter word. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, he died for us. God, help us live from that place. Yeah. Oh, God, help us live from that place. Love is gentle. Just examine yourself. Does this line up with your life? Love is gentle, and it's consistently kind to all. To who? To all. Yeah. There's no one that's excluded from that. If I looked it up in the Greek, I bet I could tell you what it said. Yep. Amen, brother. There's something on that right there. That we would just embrace kindness because it's our Father's heart. That we would understand that we were on the earth for a short period of time. Oh, God, may people see our kindness. People in the midst of despair, people in the midst of an awful circumstance, a lot of times they're just confused. 
There's something going on within them that's causing them to act a certain way. There's something strewed and uh, distorted within them. It's a misunderstanding of their father, and they act and react in certain ways, and then we just make matters worse by reacting back instead of seeing that there's actually something going on under, these, under the surface, and you say, okay, this is what love does. Love is kind. And then they see your kindness, and they're just like, whoa, you know? Yeah. They see it, and they're like, whoa. That's what life looks like. Gentle? Anybody got a temper in here? Anybody ever been harsh before? Most of us? Yeah. Love is gentle. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, too. Love is gentle. Let's keep going. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to somebody else. Hmm. Anybody ever experienced that as your initial reaction to someone else's success? Someone got the promotion when you were more qualified? Someone got the increase in pay when you had been there longer? Yeah. I saw some eyebrows raised on that one, like, oh, yeah, I've been there. You know? What if, what if love is not that? What if love looks at the success of, other, of others and actually celebrates it? Not just with this fake lip service, put on a facade, walk into the room, and act like everything's civil for a couple of minutes, only to walk away and actually be bitter all over again. But it genuinely celebrates the victory of someone else's life. Knowing, we shared it last week, that on the heels of your ability to celebrate someone else's breakthrough, then it becomes reality in your life. I'd suggest... I'd suggest to you that, that that is something we need to get a hold of. The degree to which we can celebrate someone else's success determines if we're going to be equipped to carry the breakthrough God wants to bring forward to us. Somebody ought to celebrate something that's happening in someone's life, someone's life every single day. That's what love does. It refuses. I love that. Isn't that just a violent word? It refuses. To be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Here's what else it does. It does not brag about one's achievements or inflate its own importance. It's like when you get, you know, when you, when you get in the presence of the Lord, it's like you begin to see with much larger vision. And you see that you're here to make an impact in others' lives. And then sacrifice just becomes your desire. Mm. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, humility is not... Thinking, let me make sure I get this right, thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Isn't that good? Humility, humility is not sitting there beating yourself up trying to convince yourself that what you did or who you are is not important. But humility is kind of putting that aside, understanding that you are important. What you do is important, but it's to make an impact on the other people. It's to influence lives around us. It's to leave a legacy in our life that goes so far beyond our life that it actually infiltrates the generations that come after us. It's what love does. It's what love does. Are you, are you examining your own life as we go through this? Are you seeing a gap? Are you seeing that you're aligned? I don't know exactly where you are. I would, I would probably think that most of us in here are seeing a gap in what our life looks like and what God says love looks like. Let's keep going. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not out to get people. It's not out to shame people. It, it, love never disrespects. Love always stays within the confines, the boundaries of honoring other people. I truly believe that the culture of heaven is a culture of honor, and it must be reality here. We've been talking in the youth about honor. Some of you parents will thank me for it. Honor the Lord. I mean, honor uh, your mother and father, for it's the first commandment with a promise you'll have long life on the earth, something like that. 
You're welcome. It's important, listen to me. It's important that we stay every day, no matter what happens, that we stay within the confines of honor. If you're unsure what's too much and what's too little, stay within honor and you'll be all right. Parent, uh, young people, back talking is always outside of honor. <laughs> I love you, man. I'm just kidding. But for real, you know, that we could fight in the workplace with our boss to stay within the confines of honor with our husband and with our wife, that we could contend every single day to stay within the confines of honor, that we could stay with our heavenly father and stay within the confines of honor, that we could never leave honor ever again, that it could just be the conviction of our hearts, that even when I don't understand what God's doing, I honor you, that even when life is confusing and doesn't make sense, I honor you. It's more than a spiritual word. It must be our life because it's what love does 100% of the time. Everybody say honor. honor. That's what it's about. Your students, even if you're superior over somebody, never get outside of the confines of honor. There is a created value on every single individual that's ever been born. May we never disrespect. May we never selfishly seek our own. But may we always live within the confines and the boundaries of honoring other people. You guys all right? Yeah, all right, we're about halfway through this thing. Just keep examining your life. Keeps going in verse 5. It says, love is not easily irritated, and it's not quick to take offense. <laughs> New King James says, love is not e easily angered. Anybody got a temper? Get hot in a hurry? Love doesn't do that. It's not to knock. That's an invitation. We've all been there before. You find yourself getting heated up real fast. Sometimes that's just a normal emotion of life. It's what you do at that moment that makes all the difference. You feel yourself get heated and you say, okay, Lord, love is not easily irritated. And you say, Lord, I just present that easily irritatedness as an offering to you. Now come and show me what it means to love in a moment like this. Hmm. My prayer is that the tempered people would become patient that we would get so consumed in what it means to love God and to love people, that we would get back to the first and second commandment. Yeah. Hmm. Love joyfully celebrates honesty, and it finds no delight in what is wrong. A lot of people say love is sitting back as someone else throws their life away. Oh, I love them, so I'm just going to sit back and not, you know, have confrontation. Love has no toleration for what is evil. No toleration for what is evil. Someone's house is on fire, what you gonna do? Sit there and watch it burn down? You're gonna run inside and say, hey man, your house is on fire, let's do something about this. Let somebody walk straight into hell. I don't think that's the Father's heart at all. I think that he paid way too big of a price for us to sit back and watch as someone throws their life away. I think that there's a courage that is rising up in the people of God to go and make a difference in the lives of people who are so far from him they can't even see straight. I believe there's a grace and an anointing coming on our lives to make a difference in those types of people. The people that would never come to church. The people that have counted God off for the rest of their life. The Holy Spirit is in dire pursuit of their hearts and it's absolutely vital that we part with him and show them what love really looks like. Deep down in everyone's heart, they want to be loved. Deep down in everyone's heart is a gap that only the love, the, the agape love of God can feel. And until we partner with that, we can never fully embrace our mission on the earth. It must be about love. It must be about love. It must be about love. <laughs> love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops 
believing the best for others. Isn't that good? The New King James says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Too many of us are sitting here still associating people with the actions they committed five years ago. No help there. Too many people, too many of us are sitting back and every time we see someone, we immediately make the connection. Okay, well, there's the one who used to do drugs. There's the one who used to be bound in pornography. God, have mercy. I'm thankful that he doesn't look at my life and associate me with what I used to be. I'm thankful that when he looks at me, he's not keeping a book and a tally that's just checking every time I do wrong. I'm thankful it's not a book that he goes back to every time I mess up and say, oops, he did it again. But I'm thankful that he looks upon my life even when I mess up and he says redeemed. I'm thankful that he looks upon my life and he says son, well pleased. I'm thankful that he looks upon my life and it's only with eyes of love and unction of love that he looks upon me. I'm thankful that when he looks upon me, it's not the filthy rags of my old righteousness, but it's actually the righteousness of Jesus being exhibited in my life. I'm thankful that when I stand before the throne of God, the day that my, my life comes to an end here, Jesus is going to nudge his father and say, this one's covered in my blood. I'm thankful for, for that because if it weren't for that, Jesus, God the Father would have said, depart from me, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. But because, because Jesus is going to nudge his father and I'm covered in righteousness and that he sees me as holy and pleasing in his sight, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, and I'm about to make you a ruler over many. Enter into the goodness of the Lord. I'm thankful that that's going to be the best day that ever exists. I'm thankful that that best day will carry on for every day for all of eternity. Anybody else glad about that? I'm thankful it's never going to come to an end. I'm thankful that there is eternal victory upon every single person that knows Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we can take another step in the midst of a dire situation because he's Lord and because he's paid the price. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. I'm thankful that he doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And out of that truth comes the invitation to never keep a record of wrong for another person. If you're a parent and you've got a child in here who can't help but mess up, throw the tally sheet away and embrace what it means to become love, and you'll see a change in their life. Hallelujah. Husband, you're sitting here mad at everything your wife does wrong. Throw the tally sheet away and embrace what it means to become love. To the wife who can't help but be mad at their husband for everything they've done wrong, throw the tally sheet away and watch God make love reality in your life. I'm not mad this morning. I just love Jesus, and I want to see his love be revealed in our life. Can you smile at me? <laughs> mm. It's what love does. It never keeps a record of wrongs. It's actually a safe place of shelter. Amen. Mm. It never stops believing the best for others. What does that mean? It doesn't ignorantly overlook the junk but it always believes that there is something that is innately put in them by God himself at the moment of conception that is good, that is gold, that is full of purpose for their existence. And we look at that person who is troubled and we say, son, there is something good inside of there that's just covered up by a load of mess. It's time we get the mess gone so that we can pull that gold out and see you fulfill your purpose. Anybody who's a leader in here, that's leadership in a, in a sentence. To see someone's life, to see a young person's life and say, my gosh, son, you don't even see it yet, but there is so much on you. There is so much good in you that God has put in you before the foundation of the earth. And you just pull that thing. Weeks go by and you're just pointing that thing out. He messed up and you just say, yeah, yeah, son, you messed up. 
Yeah, son, you messed up, but it doesn't mean that there's not purpose on your life. It's what love does. Everybody say love. Y'all good? Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. I believe the people of God, alongside love, should be known for the way they persevere. The righteous man falls seven times, but each time what? Somebody help me this read the word of God. Each time they get back up. Oh, it's so good. God never promised you wouldn't fall. He never promised you wouldn't stumble. But he did promise that there would be an unction and a hope that's so deep in you because, because you know him that you have every reason to get back up and keep going again. Let me, tell you, let me tell you who God the Father is not. When you fall, he's not the one pointing the finger blaming you for it. He's not the one pointing the finger shaming you. He's, he's walking on the water and Peter begins to sink him. What does he do? He reaches out his hand. Immediately, the Bible says in Matthew, he pulls Peter up out of the water. I'm telling you, that's his heart then. Some 2,000-something years ago, it's still his heart now because he's never changed. And he's still sitting here in the midst of your situation, and he's holding tight with his arm outstretched. He's just waiting on you to grab it. He's going to pull you up, and then he's going to remind you of what he's put in you. And then he's going to invite you to keep going. And the moment you give your life to him, he's going to take every wrong you've ever committed, throw it in a sea that he called forgetfulness, and he's going to keep going hand-in-hand hand with you every day of your life to see your, your purpose fulfilled. Isn't that good news? Anybody's ever been far from God ought to help me celebrate that, that he extended his hand. Somebody help me celebrate that, that he extended his hand toward me. <laughs> Love, where's it at? Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. I believe it's time for tenacity to return to the people of God. I believe it's time for zeal and a relentless love to return to the people of God. Mm. I got to scroll down. I got way, way out of there. Whew. As we examine ourselves, you know, that's four verses that lay out what it means to be born again. <laughs> it's four verses that lay out what it means to know Jesus. But we see a gap. Yeah? We see a gap. We see our life here in that standard there. We see us here in Jesus there. There's no shame in that. Here's the invitation of the Lord. We are not called merely to love as an action because it's what we're supposed to do. We're actually supposed to become it. Ephesians 4, 15, I think it is. Watch this. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Leave that up there. We're actually growing and developing, maturing, whatever word you want to use, into Jesus. So the Lord is sitting here with the perfect standard of love that he modeled every day of his life. And we're somewhere over there trying to figure this whole thing out. And he's just pulling us into him so that we can become more like him every single day. Let me tell you something. When we embrace that, trial becomes opportunity. Because in the midst of all hell breaking loose in your life, you just lay your life down on the altar and say, God, teach me what it means to become love. I didn't get no help here. A living sacrifice laid down on the altar of God, refusing to get up even when life gets hard. Holy Spirit, teach us what it means to become love. It's a hard thing. This journey I'm talking about from here to here, it's a difficult thing. And just to be honest, it'll never be perfected until we stand before him. But my God, I'm going to get as close as I can get. I'm going to get as consumed as I can get. I'm going to get as convinced and compelled as I can get. How? How do you become love? Everybody say, become love. 
How do you become love? That becomes the golden question that we've got to answer. Jeremiah 18 paints the picture beautifully. He says, thou art the potter. And we are the... He's sitting there as the potter over the potter's wheel. And he is so intricately woven this clay into this beautiful masterpiece, this beautiful canvas that the whole world needs to see. What's the clay's responsibility? To stay in his hands. Somebody get free right there. Your responsibility is to lay there in his hands. How do you get from here to here? How do you become love? You stop trying yourself. You stop trying to become patient on your own. You stop trying to become unselfish and unharsh on your own. And you literally just say, Father, I've tried and it's never worked. So I'm going to lay flat on the potter's wheel until you make me who you've called me to be. There's no better place to be. It can be a very painful journey sometimes. The journey to becoming love can become very painful because when we're sitting there in trial, you know what the Lord's doing? He's chipping away at the things that need to go. But he's not sitting there trying to hurt us. He's sitting there trying to free us. And to the one who in the midst of trial will choose to stay in his hands, he will chip that pride away. It's too big for you. You'll never beat it on its own. He'll chip it off and you'll just be free. To the one who's battling lust and pornography, I tell you, the potter's will is the only answer. You better lay there till he chips it off. Mm. Selfishness, dishonor. You can't overcome it on your own. It's too big for you. Lay yourself on the potter's will and say, God, I need you to make me who you've called me to be. I need, to show, I need you to show me what this love thing is all really about. Chip. And hopefully by the end of this life, it'll be a beautiful masterpiece of love. I'm telling you, there are so many things in this life that war against love. You think it's a war against your calling? You think it's a war against where God's taking you? It may be in a sense, but ultimately it's a war against love because God knows if we can become love, everything will change. I want to be on the potter's wheel, do you? You sure about that? That's a painful thing. That's a tough thing sometimes. You can guarantee that trial is coming. It's not my, my theology, it's Jesus. He said in John 16... In this world, you're going to have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. I'm, I may have Isaiah in there, Kim. He's talking about the future. He says, when I walk through the waters, when I walk through the fire, not if. He said when. That means it's coming. James 1 talks about how uh, we are to count it all joy when we encounter trials of various kinds. Not if, when, it's coming. To the one who's on the potter's wheel, trial is coming. But that there's no reason to be afraid because the hands of our potter is the best place you can be. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what situation looks like or circumstance, but I just encourage you, lay yourself on the potter's wheel. Mm. You'll see a difference. You'll see your workplace come to life. Because God chipped away at you and showed you what it meant to become love. You'll see love is patient. You'll see love is kind. You'll see it doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. You'll see it's not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. You'll see it doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. You'll see that it always hopes, always perseveres, always believes. And you'll see that it never fails. Isn't it good news? 
Do you sense the invitation to your own life? If something's shaming you right now, I promise it's not God. He is sticking his, out to, his hand out to you just like he did to Peter, inviting you to, to begin this journey. This, I believe that's what this whole series is about in the heart of God, to embark on this journey to understand what it means to become love once again. May we never be known for our gifts more than we're known for our love. May we never put more focus on, being, on speaking in tongues more than we do loving other people. May we never put more emphasis on prophesying so that it sounds good and looks good than loving other people. May we never get more focused on anything about us than loving other people. You want to find purpose in your life? There it is. There it is. He'll chip away fear. I wrote some things right here that I, I believe the Lord gave me in prayer last night. If you're afraid, lay on the potter's wheel. Gone. Perfect love casts out all fear, if I read the scripture right. Worry. Anybody just live worried, laying there at night, worried about life, worried about what's going to be the next step? My God, he'll take it away if you just lay down on his wheel. Mm. Anxiety. Harshness, temper. Man, it's good, isn't he? He'll chip it away, and you'll understand what freedom truly is about. Ashley, come on, we're going to wrap this thing up. I believe the first invitation that the Lord is giving us today is an invitation of repentance. So everybody look at me. I believe the first invitation is an invitation of repentance. The Lord has revealed things to our own heart probably today that aren't in alignment with what love looks like. The Lord is not mad. Somebody help me this morning. He is not mad. If he was mad, it would be real bad. I'm thankful that the wrath of God was satisfied with Jesus and that it doesn't have to be for me. Hmm. But it's an invitation of repentance. Every person in here, close your eyes. We're not going to call anybody out. not even going to ask you to raise your hand. But before we can move forward and actually receive this thing, we've got to repent for it. So in your own heart, if that's a gap, if you've seen a gap in your own life, repent before the Lord. Every eye closed, please, every eye closed. Just repent before the Lord in your own heart. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he just cried out to the Lord and said, God created me a pure heart. Psalm 51, it's an amazing chapter if you want to read it. He said, created me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So, Father, right now as a corporate people, we repent before your throne. We lay ourselves down before your throne and we say we're sorry for every time that we've been outside of love. God, forgive us for ever being outside of love. Forgive us for making our calling and this purpose on our life outside of love. And God, God, we pray that with each passing day that you would teach us more and more what it means to become love. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Isn't it so good that when we ask, he forgives? Isn't it so good that when we confess our sins before him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness? Isn't that good news? Yeah. I believe the second invitation, if you would all stand, everybody stand all across the house. I believe the second invitation is to the one who would say, listen to me, the one who would say that they'll lay their life on the potter's wheel. It's what the Lord spoke to me, spoke to me in prayer last night and this morning. 
to the one who would say in the midst of all things going wrong in their life, they would say, I'm just going to lay my life on the potter's wheel and I'm going to trust that he's going to make all things new. I'm going to trust that every circumstance is going to play out according to his desire. I'm just going to lay here in his hands, postured this way in worship to stay near him all hours of the day and let him take care of the rest. Anyone who would say more of Jesus, I don't care how, how hard it is or how much it costs, I just want more of his presence. Anybody who would say, I just want more of his presence, more of his life upon mine, more of his love, more revelation of his love every single day. If that's you, I want you to come right now. We're just going to pray. God's going to take you into another dimension of his love. Don't come if you don't mean this thing. This is giving your life away. This is laying everything down and saying, God, I don't care what it costs. I want to know what it means to become love. I want to know what it means to become love. Anybody else, don't come if you don't mean it. But you want to become love. You want to know what it means. Mm. Listen to me, every eye right here. Those of you who are come, I trust you're serious about this. I want to tell you a story. There was a pilot... I heard this story secondhand. There was a pilot who was flying a plane at 30,000 feet. He looked down at his gauges and his radar, and he saw that the, the fuel gauge was dropping way too quick. He knew something was going on. He knew there was a leak. So he took off to the engine room to find it in a hurry, understanding that lives were at stake. He took off to the engine room, and he looked down in a little crevice that he couldn't even get to, and he saw a rat that was gnawing its way through one of the main fuel lines knowing that there was a problem and knowing that there was no way he could actually get to the place where that rat was to stop the leap from happening, he ran back into the cockpit and told his co-pilot co -pilot what was happening. His co-pilot looked at him and said, what do we do? Now, any one of us would understand that, you know, probably the best thing to do is to ground the plane. Let's get this thing on the ground as fast as we can so if we run out of fuel, we're all right. Here's what the pilot did. He put both his hands on the forward thrusters and he pulled this thing up. And they climbed to an altitude 10,000 feet higher than when, they, than when they were before. His co-pilot looked at him and he said, what are you doing? And the pilot looked at him and said, I'm going to an altitude where rats can't live. The Lord is lifting us into a new altitude today. It's a place where, where, where you don't have to struggle with pornography anymore. It just falls off of you because it can't live there. Worry and fear just can't live there. I'm telling you, the worst thing you can do is take that plane to the ground. Are you with me? The worst thing you can do is get that thing on the ground as fast as possible because he's calling us higher. He's calling us higher. And there is a realm where the oxygen runs out, where the rat can't live no more. Hallelujah. The rat can't live no more. The things that have been opposing your life and gnawing at your energy and your fuel line can't live no more. Isn't that good news? Addiction can't live. Bitterness can't live. Resentment just drops off of you because you're so, you're so full of his love and full of his presence. I came by to tell you this morning that another dimension of God's love is the answer to every one of your situations. Freedom, isn't it good? Another dimension of God's love. If you want it, put your hands out and receive. Put your hands out and receive. God, say, God, take me to another dimension of your love. Take me to another dimension of your love. Take them up, God. Take us away right now in the name of Jesus. Take us away. Take us away into another dimension of your love right now, God. Right now, God. 
I feel grief fall ahead. I feel grief falling off of people right now in Jesus' name. It's been carried for you. But Jesus paid the price so that you could walk free of it. In Jesus' name. Thanks, God. I feel self-guilt about something that you've committed decades past falling off of you right now in the name of Jesus because you're climbing to an altitude where it can't live. You're going to a place it can't stay. Thanks, God. I feel relationships just resolving. Thanks, God. Because bitterness and resentment can't stay where you're going. I feel depression that's been robbing you of sleep. It's been robbing you of joy for far too long. It's just dropping off as you're walking into a new place with God with a newfound understanding of what it means to become love. Take us away, God. Take us away, God. Anybody got sickness in your body? Just lift your hand right now. High, high, raise it high. Thanks, God. Yeah, we're going to a place where sickness can't go. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, be whole. In Jesus' name, God, I thank you that you paid the price. In Jesus' name, be gone. In Jesus' name, be gone. You are trespassing and there is no room for you in the name of Jesus. Thanks, God. Yeah. Anybody need a miracle? I don't care what it is, a miracle. Father, we thank you right now for breakthrough. Mm-hmm. God, I thank you that at this altitude, there is no gift that you will withhold from us that we can understand what it means to walk full of your goodness and full of your favor, full of your mercy. Uh, Hmm. Can we just give him thanks all across the house? We just thank him. Put your hands up if you want to. Clap if you want to. Just give him thanks. Just give him thanks. 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 Say right where you are. We're almost done. Kim, go back to Corinthians 13. Um, 9, 10, uh, it's going to be 11 and 12 and 13, I think. Paul talks about how prophecy is going to be fulfilled when we stand before the Lord. He talks about three things. He talks about faith, he talks about hope, and he talks about love. But then he makes a statement that says the greatest of these is love. Go to 13. Why do you think that is? Why do you think love is greater than hope and faith? Faith and hope are never going to pass away. Are you with me? But they will be fulfilled. Love will endure till the end. And I promise you, I promise you everything else is going to fade. But us next to Jesus is what's going to stand when all else goes. It's the loving relationship between us and him that's going to last when all else goes. When this, all hell is breaking loose on this earth with Armageddon, and then God wipes the earth out and brings heaven to this earth to to bring forth the new Jerusalem. It's love that's going to stand there. It's his love that was spread forth on a cross that's going to stand there and still live true for every day for all of eternity. Just like the old hymn goes, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, even then his love will still reign and there will never be a day where we will be outside of that. Isn't that good news? There will never come a day where his love will fade away. I pray you've been blessed today. Yeah? Oh, that's so good, yeah. As I close and as we dismiss, 
today marks a brand new journey for many of us. It's the journey of the Christian life. It's the journey to become in love, to understanding what that means. Is there anybody in here who wants to know Jesus that doesn't? I just want to give you an opportunity. You've never known the Lord. We'll just pray with you and we'll celebrate with you. Is that anybody? Anybody at all? Amen. I just want to give you that chance. I'm thankful, God, for what you've done today. And I'm thankful, Holy Spirit, that, that Jesus has been glorified. But, Lord, I pray, I pray that this understanding, this revelation, this encounter that's taking place with your love would go forward every day that we live and that we would love and we learn what it means to become love. And the people of God said, amen, amen. amen.